0: Hey, everyone, it's Jacob here. Welcome to another episode of the Law of Code podcast. This is the show covering all things blockchain. Cryptocurrencies, NFTs, DeFi, DAOs, you name it, we're covering it. But there's one catch. We focus on the legal framework surrounding blockchains.
1: Anything mentioned in this episode by Jacob Robinson or his guest is not legal advice or investment advice. All opinions are Jacob's and his guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be relied upon for legal or investment decisions. This show is solely for information and entertainment purposes only. Jacob and his guests are not your lawyers, nor are they investment advisors. Please work directly with a lawyer or investment professional.
0: Today's guest is Matt Burgone, a partner at McLeod Law in Calgary, Canada. Matt's legal practice revolves around securities and capital markets with a focus on blockchain-based digital assets, particularly Bitcoin. To give you an idea of how long Matt's been in the crypto game, he was buying Bitcoin when it was $60 a coin, around 2013. We talk about how he first got into crypto, why he chose to build a legal practice in the crypto space, how he got his first crypto-related client, and why crypto startups should bring lawyers in as early as they can. We also touched on why writing is so important for young lawyers, what makes a great lawyer, and habits that helped Matt be successful in his profession. Matt was a great guest, very insightful and knowledgeable about all things crypto, and I'm grateful for him taking the time to speak with me. Good afternoon, Matt. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Law of Code podcast. I'm thrilled to have you on and I'm excited to learn more about your crypto journey.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jacob.
0: I think I'll start with the typical question I like to ask is when you were first introduced to Bitcoin or blockchain technology, I, I assume it's Bitcoin, but did you have a Genesis block moment where you thought, okay, this is a real deal or someone first introduced it to
1: you? Yeah, that's a good Good question. I had a. I, I found Bitcoin on my own uh, just through reading some um, news articles on on Bitcoin on 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 a on a few different websites in the summer of 2013, uh, and and it was actually in conjunction with a, an article on the Silk Road. And I kind of I was inter- like you know, fascinated in in that. I didn't know I wasn't aware that there was even a dark web, and but. You know, when, when Bitcoin was referred to, I, I, I did look into Bitcoin specifically. And um, I think my genesis moment was when I realized that there weren't many lawyers uh, in the space at that time in Canada. Um, there, there's still not many, uh, but at that time, there were very, very few. Uh, and then I realized this is A, this is something that's going somewhere, and B, th- this might actually be something that I could, I could parlay into my legal career.
0: And so when you decided to make that trend, like parlay into your legal career and tie crypto into your practice, what was the initial reception like amongst your colleagues or your family members or the firm in general? Was it skepticism yeah. mixed with, he's a little crazy? Or?
1: You know what? Okay. So um, my, as far as my firm goes, um, they, they, we have um we're organized at our firm, so we have a, a managing partner and then a, a practice group leader in our corporate department. So I should say I'm a I'm a business lawyer. I'm in our corporate department, uh, and, and I practice securities law. And so our managing partner uh, and our corp- my corporate group leader were actually um, pretty intrigued and 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 interested and kind of excited that um, that I saw potential in this and. I think they saw potential as well, uh, and, and they still do to this day. So they were very supportive. Uh, some of my colleagues um, were more skeptical. And uh, like one guy, one partner kept calling me Bitcoin Burgoyne a moniker that's that still sticks today. You know, hey, see me in the elevator, Bitcoin Burgoyne. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, um, others were were, you know, it was more of a, um, the reaction was more of, wow, that sounds really interesting. You know, there were, there were a few skeptics, but I would say more people were on side. And then, you know, at home, um, I, I think my wife was surprised at how quickly things blossomed with in, in the area, like how quickly things took off. Um, you know, we're doing this podcast now. I, I don't know how, how many podcasts I've done, um, but my first podcast was this like internet radio show actually in 2013. Uh, And then I know my wife was like, you're doing what? You know, you're being interviewed. Why? Like she couldn't really, you know, understand at the time. So um, yeah, it was, uh, it it definitely took off pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, you got in the space very early. I mean, back in 2013, no one was really talking about it. And did you have a group of people who you were on, say, not a Discord, but some sort of chat to to learn more about it together? Or were you trekking by yourself, learning and teaching yourself?
1: Um, you know, so back then I was uh, learning and teaching myself. So um, it was. I still have my notes and these emails that I and, and that I sent myself, news articles that I sent myself from those days. I have them saved. Um, you know, at the time Forbes um, was was already writing on Bitcoin, and so uh, you know, means the mainstream media writing on it, um, writing about it, kind of gave me a bit of, a bit of confidence. Uh, you know that that this was something that had some legitimacy. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I think everything kind of got started for me when I wrote an article on on Bitcoin, uh, the law of Bitcoin, on my on my firm's website, and that led to my first client in the space. Um, and then, you know, that kind of just um, everything kind of expanded from there. Um, so, so I had to, but I had to, I had to, to teach, teach myself um, I, Bitcoin talk, I, I think I I might've checked it out. I wasn't really heavily involved in, in blogging at that point or, um, you know, participating on any, uh, you know, forums dedicated to Bitcoin. Um, it was more just reading on my own and then writing on my own, I think early on.
0: And in terms of what you read, were there specific resources that you found very helpful or a strategy that you used? Because for me, I found it most helpful when learning about blockchain to ask questions and find the answers to those questions. So first it was, what is a blockchain? And then it was, what is the digital information that they package as part of this chain? As the block, and then it was okay. Why are they packaging that? And what's the efficiency? And then going down that rabbit hole. Did you have a similar approach, or did you have a different take on it?
1: Um, I guess what I tried to do. So my 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 uh, take or my strategy was was learn by experience. So I bought. I started buying Bitcoin um, through um an exchange called ca vertex which is no longer around but it was one of the first bitcoin exchanges in canada actually based in calgary where i'm where i'm based in um and so i, I bought bitcoin uh, had an account at ca vertex had my own wallet on my laptop uh um and uh you know sold it back to the exchange figured out how to uh you know what uh, how to store my private key you know the difference between storing bitcoin on on the exchange wallet versus my wallet uh you know the difference between like a, an exchange and then a, a bitcoin broker um there, there was a broker at the time out of ottawa that um that i used well, actually i ended up doing a bit of legal work for her. um but yeah so i really wanted to learn by experience because i wanted I wanted to tell clients uh, or prospective clients you don't have to pay me to to learn this like I already know it. I've already used it myself so you know uh, you, you're 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 not paying for for me to learn and and that was really important for me to out of the gate to uh, yeah to understand and and that's and even to this day you know when I when there's new advancements uh or, you know um NFTs I've I've bought NFTs uh, you know d De- De- platforms i i you know i have an account uh or i've used Unis- uh, uniswap um compound finance is one that I, I i use uh you know metamask i i just try everything on myself so i can kind of have an understanding yeah so because it helps you right is as, as you know it it helps you advise clients and uh you, you can kind of talk the talk yeah so yeah
0: and you learn so much. I remember when I was in my blockchain in the law class in the second year of law school thinking, oh, this is amazing, like makes so much sense. And then when I started actually doing it. I was more bullish on the space because it's, wow, it actually works just like it says in the book, because a lot of times you hear about something and you try it out and it doesn't live up to expectations. But I think Bitcoin and Ethereum for me at least did. And and they went up so much in value that I couldn't complain either the the little bit that I was able to buy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, and and it does work like that. That's the thing. It does work as, as, as as it's written. And, and you see that, um, like, I remember the first time I, I bought, Bitcoin or no, I, I sent uh, Bitcoin from my wallet to someone else's wallet and thinking, you know, I, and at that time, I don't even think I cut and pasted the address. Like I was like, like reading every single, you know, uh, number and, and letter and, you know, three times over, four times over. And I, I remember doing that um, and, uh, but it worked. Um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, it was like a real aha moment when I realized how how, how easy it is. Right. And how uh how quick it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, I, I mean when when um ether came around, I did buy some ether. I, I bought Litecoin. I remember before a lot of people did. Um because that's at the time Litecoin was like even before Ether. I think Litecoin was like the you know one of the alternatives right to Bitcoin. And so um, I wanted to to you know experience the you know both or hold hold uh, you know not not just bitcoin um so i think early on i, I realized um you know that there was more than just uh, bitcoin it was it was clear even in 2013 by that point that there was there was going to be more yeah
0: and what was do you remember the price of bitcoin at the time when you when you first started buying yeah and to bring up um, any bad
1: memories I'm just uh, curious well I mean the regrets are yeah I mean I, I look I haven't. Okay, so my wallet software on my laptop was called MultiBit. Uh, I don't even know if it's still around. But MultiBit, if I look at the wallet that I had, like I, I, you know, I mean, there are some transactions where I'm transferring like six, seven Bitcoin. Um, I bought uh, I bought a microphone uh, to use, and then um, a password protector or a password storage device with Bitcoin. That was like I spent like ten Bitcoin on this stuff. So I don't know. It must have been like um, it was under a hundred dollars. Uh, so it was probably yeah. It was when I bought it was when I first started buying it was it was it was well below hundred. Uh, and then if you look at twenty thirteen, I think it went you know 100, 135 and and uh, it started going up from there. But yeah, it was well below a hundred. I know it. What can you do? Yeah. It's true. It's
0: it's yeah. true. Even even a year ago, right? The crypto punks were going for four or five hundred dollars, and I thought, oh, these yeah. are cool, but I can't I can't afford
1: to lose four hundred dollars. No, but, well, that was my that was my opinion too. I'm like, what if this goes to zero? Right? Like not knowing, um, you know, back back then. Um, and 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 in fact, yeah, when it when it decreased, at the first when it went the first bust, well, one of my first busts that I experienced in early 2014, um, I sold. Right. So yeah, that's just.
0: Well, you, you were so early, it was so spe- speculative. But now to get back to, to the legal practice, I was wondering if you could explain a bit more about your role at McLe- McLeod? Yeah, McLeod, McLeod yeah. And yep. what, how crypto you know works within your practice.
1: Sure, so McLeod, um, so I'm, uh, as, I, as I said, I'm a business lawyer. So I'm in our corporate department, I'm a solicitor. Um, you know, I've always been a solicitor. I, I do a lot of uh, work. Uh, with uh securities law um my my practice has always really fo- it's focused on industries so um I, when i started out I, I, I my practice i was doing a lot of work with private mortgage lending entities so mortgage investment corporations and mutual fund trusts and these kind of entities um and 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 so i you know i i i started we started acting for most of the private um private lenders in alberta uh in calgary at least and in edmonton uh you know early on in my career and um i just learned to focus on on an industry right and and that was if you focus on an industry i learned that, that um uh you know you became the, the 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 you know the thought leader and and the the go to person so started out in that area uh, but, um, you know, we, yeah, I, I assisted clients with other, you know, in other areas of law. Um, but yeah, so my firm, we're a um, mid sized firm in Calgary, about 60 lawyers. Um, you know, we're, we're a full service firm. So we have all all practice areas. We have a large personal injury group. Um, yeah, and, 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 and family law and all the other areas. Um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I, I was, I guess I've never really been a generalist. I've always, like I said, specialized. So when I, you know, when I when I learned about Bitcoin and, and got into it, um, I I wanted to focus on the area. I didn't know that it would ever become as big as it did. Um, but yeah, so I'm a business lawyer who who likes picking an area and specializing in it. I guess yeah. To summarize.
0: And then you you mentioned earlier your first crypto clients came because they had read your article. Could you? describe what that interaction was like did they reach out to you out of the blue saying hey matt we, we read your article we really liked it wondering if you could help us what what was that like
1: yeah uh so um i decided so even even before that like i had i am um, my my um mentor and I, a guy who who i worked under at at the firm he's, he's since retired um so we we were like the private lending guys right so the way we would generate businesses um we would write articles galore. We would, we would partner with accounting firms and we would put on seminars for clients on like the area, like, you know, changes in the legislation and and policy. So, um, you know, writing articles, it's still like to, to, you know, the junior lawyers listening to your podcast, write as many articles as you can. I mean, that, that is a key. So here's the case in point. I wrote this article on, 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 I think it was just, the, like you know, the law pertaining to Bitcoin at that time, um, and, and I think I focused on federal law uh, and, uh, and anti-money laundering law. I think, um, and and I got um, yeah an email, uh, just I got a cold call. Or it was an email from a from a client, and they said, yeah, we're uh, there's a group of us. There's like three or four of us um we read your article um you know we were just searching bitcoin lawyers alberta and your your article popped up so write articles everyone yeah it it works uh and then i I met them for coffee uh there were they were comprised of um some uh, two miners two people who were like actually mining bitcoin full-time at that time uh someone who was more in a in a leadership role um that that had run some other businesses so we met for coffee and they brought um Like this, this representation of a I'm holding like a Bitcoin, uh, you know, representation of a a Bitcoin that it actually had a key on the back of it. Um, So I I got some Bitcoin back then from that little. Anyway, they they, you know they gave that to me, and we had a really good talk about uh, about about the industry. Um, So they were developing a Bitcoin gift card. Um, So I incorporated a company for them. I drafted a shareholder agreement. Uh, I started, you know, reviewing uh, contracts that that they were going to enter into with third-party providers. Um, there were like national, um, you know, uh, gift card distributors that we had to work with. the The client wanted to um, expand into the U.S. Oh, we trademarked their their name. We did just some general like corporate cor- corporate work, uh, and and so them wanting to go into the U.S. I, I that that forced me to find a U.S. lawyer. So I I looked on Google and um, Marco Santori's name was all over Google and he was a a lawyer in New York. So I called him and said, Hey, I'm, I introduced myself. I've got this client. They want to come into the U S and at the end of the call, I just asked him like what they ended up actually hiring him as their U S agent. And I asked him like, what did you, your name's all over Google. Like, dude, how did you, how did you get this? And how did you get this big here? And so he just, he said, right on CoinDesk um you know here's here's the name of someone like he gave he was he was excellent very super nice guy like gave me all these tips on how to build my practice uh up up north in canada and i just followed what he recommended you know go to conferences get on twitter um you know get involved in the community and uh that's exactly what i did and so um i like after after getting my first article published because coindesk hadn't at that point, didn't have um, any Canadian legal perspective yet. So uh, they, uh, you know, it was um, appealing to them to have a Canadian lawyer reach out to them saying, like, I'm covering the space in Canada, do you want do you want a piece on Canadian law? Sure. And they were based out of uh, the UK at that point. And uh, that article landing on Coindepst is what really propelled kind of everything for me, you know, I started getting um, requests to do interviews by like CTV, the media here, CBC, Um, it, it led to another article. Like I did my first article on Quintess, which was like all about federal law. Second one was provincial law. And it just kind of, you know, grew from there. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I kept writing articles on our firm's website. Um, you know, I got more involved on LinkedIn. I never, I, Twitter wasn't like, I just couldn't get, I don't know. I, I really didn't understand Twitter at the time. I regret not getting more involved in Twitter at that, at that early stage, but that's, that's fine, um, but yeah, that's uh, kind of what what happened. Um, in
0: part, <laughs> so interesting. I, I the next question that I had was, how did you become a writer for CoinDesk? Because I, I noticed that and that's not that's no small thing to to be a writer at a huge crypto publication like that, especially at the time that you were. What was the, like, what's what that process look like? Just for the young people like myself who are interested in writing articles and wanna get their name out there, how, how do you reach out or what would you recommend people do to become uh, published at large publications?
1: Yeah, uh, great question. So, um, you know, I, I think with CoinDesk, I was actually given someone's contact information. Um, I think it was Marco who provided me with someone's name in, in the London UK office. Um, but, uh, it, it, you know, it involved me like it, it it, it helps to know someone, but if you don't know anyone, um, and and I've tried this with other publications, you know, just it never hurts to email and, and, and if they've got a phone number call and you just, you just reach out to them cold and just say like, you know, here's what I'm doing. Um, you know, I'm a lawyer. I I have a unique perspective that I want to offer. I think your readers will want to hear my perspective um, because it hasn't been written about before in your publication. Uh, so, so the best thing that anyone can do is 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 just reach out by email or phone. If you don't get a response, follow up, uh, and then, um, you know, and then, and then that's the, that's the starting point. Uh, Um, I, I think, um, you know, if you've got a good idea, uh, that that's key as well, right? So if you've got, um, if you, you know, your, your idea should, uh, interest their general readership. So it can't be too narrow that it's not going to appeal to their, you know, most of their readers. Um, and, and, and so it's it's gotta be something that, you know a unique take on something. Like if you look at the lawyers writing on CoinDesk now I mean, I think I last, wrote last year for them, um, it was it was uh, an article on the difficulty with getting insurance uh, in, the, in the crypto community for crypto companies. But, you know, the, the lawyers writing on CoinDesk now they're, they're they've got an opinion. Uh, like Preston Byrne, you know they've got, um, you know they, they're taking a position. They're they're positional, so you might want to, you know, take a hot button topic and and put a put a legal spin on it. Um, but yeah, just just reach out uh, and uh, and uh, and you know don't don't give up and. Look at all kinds of publications. So, um, you know, if you have to start with a lesser-known publication, it's all relevant. It's all important. You know, any anything that you write on any, it doesn't matter the size of the publication. Your name will get on Google. You know, if people are other people are looking at that article, uh, your Google ranking will go up. And so, my my advice is, it doesn't matter how small the publication is. Just you know, the important thing is write as much as you can. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It, that seems to be a strong sentiment among most lawyers that I talk to is to leverage the internet and use the, you know, the fat army of robots that works 24 seven and keeps everything online. And you can reach a million people with one article. And I think, uh, I'm very glad that you gave that example of what happened with you because it, it motivates me and I'm sure many others to go out, write those articles and put the work in early. Now, in terms of best practices when you want to write these articles for a publication. Should you write the article before you reach out to them or should you, or is it better to just have an idea and let them help you mold it?
1: So um, my experience with CoinDesk is, is that they will, there's an editor that will review your draft and and provide comments. Um, So I, I don't think you have to have, I think you just have to have a good idea that's appealing to them Uh, and then once you get the green light then you can you can write and then expect to refine it uh, because they will have um, definitely will have an editor that will review it Although I, I've written articles um, on publica- in publications where I've gotten no you know comments and it's just the whole thing has gone up and for better or for worse. But uh, on the larger publications, they, I think they will always edit your work. So you know, if you're a lawyer at a, at a firm, um, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, once you have that idea and you get the green light from you know the editor that you're speaking with at the publication, always run your, your draft by another lawyer. Uh, it, it never hurts. Like that's what I've done. Um, so I've, I've always just, uh, you know, run, run the draft by a senior lawyer, just to make sure that, uh, you know, you're not totally, uh, uh, you know, out of left field, but, um, yeah, it, it's always prudent to, to have someone proofread your work before you submit it.
0: That's, that's great advice. And something that it's always, it's easy to do, but it's not often done. And I think the, taking that reminder, uh, will be valuable, at least for me. Um, in terms of uh, practicing in Canada, and this is what I was really looking forward to speaking with you about because you are based in Alberta and Calgary. And or, yeah, Alberta, Calgary. That's yeah. the, that's the right yeah. spot. Yeah, Calgary. And, and exactly. uh, in Canada. <laughs> but crypto yeah, sure. and, and NFTs, a lot of people consider them jurisdictionless because it's on the internet. It doesn't matter where you live. If it's Iceland, Honolulu, You're accessing the same market and you're transacting in the same manner. How do you find Canada is unique in the crypto space compared to, say, the U.S. or or other countries?
1: Um, Well, um, so there's a few things that that come to me right away. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously, well, or maybe not obviously, but yeah you know you mentioned that crypto it is truly borderless that's one of the really cool things about it it's a, it's a truly international phenomenon um and because of that it's it's like that I've I've had the pleasure of, of working with clients all over the world uh i you know our um government has since i day since the early days been more vocal i think about um you know their views on on the, on on how the law applies. They're, they've been more vocal, I think, than the regulators and, and governments of other countries. So, for example, if you look back in twenty, I you know twenty thirteen, the Canada Revenue Agency was already putting out notices on Bitcoin and and you know that barter rules apply, uh, tax rules that, that relate to barter transactions those apply. Um, and so that, you know, that was, I think, the CRA, our Canada Revenue Agency, was putting out guidance before the IRS in the U.S. Um, you know, and if we think about the recent, um, the recent Canadian Securities Administrator staff notices coming out and, and the notices from the Ontario Securities Commission in particular, uh, you'll, you'll see, and, you know, as it pertains to securities law, much more vocal uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, maybe even aggressive, uh, position or much more, much more vocal and, uh, and, and clear, I think, um, not a lot, I think people would disagree with me. Some would disagree, but a lot more vocal and, and arguably clear than, than other jurisdictions, for example, compared to the U S so the U S the SEC is, they, they seem to regulate by enforcement. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately they're not, um, you know, I think like Mark Cuban commented the other day on Twitter. They're not really answering, you know, uh, uh, small businesses' questions and and you know the questions that retail investors have. Um, you know, you you look at Canada and uh, the CSA. They they are putting thought into um, their policies. Uh, Fintrack. Uh, you know, another example of a regulator that that was very vocal and um, that was answering questions uh, through policy interpretations quite early on. Um, you know, as compared to some other jurisdictions, so we we kind of ha- we knew what the government or what the regulators in Canada uh, uh, were thinking uh, before the regulators in other other jurisdictions. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the CSA staff notices that have that have come out pertaining to securities law and how they regulate coins and tokens. You know, you you can disagree with their position um and and you know there's a lot i think there to to uh to, to create or, or or debate but they have put thought into it and and they, and it's very clear like the you know i don't think it's it's ambiguous and and you know I, I know the criticism that i've heard in the u.s is it's not clear what the sec's position is it's not clear what what how the law applies uh to some of the technology um, but in canada we know how the regu- what the regulators think now i guess the question is um you know, what What? What ultimately will the courts say in some of these cases? And will the courts agree with um, the securities regulators uh, staff viewpoints on certain issues that that remains to be seen?
0: Are there any cases, just speaking of the courts, that you are keeping an eye on or that you've seen that could have very impactful precedent in Canadian crypto law? That come to mind.
1: Um, you know what? I mean, from my practice, I'm not. I haven't. I've. I haven't read too many like common law cases that have come out that are that are specific to crypto. I think um, what I'm following are just like whenever there is an enforcement action, I'm, I'm following those more because I find that more of my practice um, in the last few years has been focused in securities law. So, uh, you know, or if there is a, an order that uh, permits. Um, or grant someone permission to do something like Finhaven in BC was granted permission to operate a secondary uh, market um, to trade crypto. Um, you know now there's a credit; they have to be sophisticated accredited investor. Investors are, are the ones who are allowed to freely trade in the secondary market. But so I'm looking at things like that, like you know, and 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 what's the next Finhaven? What's the next? You know, um, Coinberry just was granted. Uh, and there was an order the other day, I think two days ago, that that now CoinBerry, the Canadian crypto exchange, has its dealer restricted dealer license. Uh, so I'm looking at those and saying, okay, well, how, like, what kind of parameters are being set? Like, well, Simple, for example, you know, what was it prohibited to trade? Well, uh, Tether, same as CoinBerry. and so I, I'm interested in uh, m- m- more in in the um, yeah in the decisions coming out from the uh, securities regulatory bodies at the moment.
0: And how do you think about the cases or potential cases or enforcement that happens in the U.S.? Because the U.S. really has a huge influence on Canadian law, but at the same time, they've clearly diverged even with Bitcoin at the beginning with with the CRA explaining, as as you mentioned earlier. So how, how, how do you think about what goes on in the States and how close of an eye do you keep on it and how close of an eye should lawyers in Canada be keeping on the U.S.?
1: Um, so I I think that the, the the case law coming out of the US, um, like the 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 KIC decision on KIN, the KIN token, uh, the XRP um, you know, dispute, uh, I, I think certain um uh, you know um th- th- those cases can be um they're not legally binding in Canada, but they can be persuasive in some cases or they're relevant at least because um, you know in in canada we just haven't had uh you know uh, cases uh in in our system um that deal with some of those issues like what you know what, what you know debating um whether a token is an investment contract like we haven't really seen something hashed out so i think like the same way as we've seen in the us i mean the us is 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 so much bigger and, and so it's not surprising you know like they, i feel like the u.s the law they're, they're always Ahead of us, like in terms of like decisions and um, uh, you know, an innovation to you know, to to an extent, um, I I I would pay attention to some of the larger cases there that that um, you know, again in securities law that talk about uh, the concept of the Howey test and um, you know, an in investment contract, and and I'm curious to see like how that would be applied in Canadian courts because I think the Canadian courts um could accept that as as evidence and and maybe it would be persuasive and uh, i mean let's face it i think the osc like it's the largest regulator in canada i think it does um follow what what's going what the SEC's doing in the us and and it, it does um respect the sec's uh you know decisions on certain things so if the sec is, is going one way I, I would think that um you know the osc is is probably going to take a similar position and if the osc takes that position then like in my you know home province of alberta the alberta securities commission is probably not far behind so um yeah i, I think as to what could um be decided on in the future in canada i would i would look at the current large you know cases going on in the u.s yeah for sure
0: that's a, that's a great point and it was the biggest eye-opening experience for me in law school when i realized good portion of the cases, and I I went to law school in Ontario, a good portion of the cases that we were citing as precedent were American cases or UK cases or Australia cases because the law is much more interconnected, at least in common law systems than I think most people who aren't legally uh, inclined realize that we take a lot of the best practices from the US and, and vice versa. So I think that that's a really good point to keep in mind. Now, to build off that, what should Canadian regulators be considerate of when they're legislating crypto and NFTs? Are there some things that maybe you've seen them make small errors in or things that in the future they should be cognizant of before regulating. If, if you could speak to them one-on-one, what were some things that you would
1: bring up to them? Well, um, you know, I, I think um, talk to industry, like make sure you're talking to the industry and consulting with industry Um you know, don't like the, the the whole the term "midnight rulemaking" in the U.S. Um, there was that that giant infrastructure bill in the U.S., and of course there was that schmozzle on and and you know the the terminology. It's it's very important that we get the terminology right and that we not cast too broad of a net. And and of course that that was done in, in the case of um, you know the infrastructure bill. Uh, in the u.s so i mean i think that's an example uh, not a canadian example of uh you know an error and and you know maybe they uh, perhaps they intentionally were were being were over and 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 you know one of the suggested um you know rectifications that that a few of the senators proposed was even like worse right it was you know and so um so i think that could have been um prevented if um the the uh, legislatures, had uh, consulted with the industry um, a, a little bit more in depth, and and it, it almost seemed like they were rushing something through, um, and 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 they were in fact. Um, so that whole, you know, notion of midnight rulemaking is not great for crypto. Um, I would say that in Canada, if I was going to sit, I, I you know what? I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I I guess. Um, You know this concept of immediate delivery that has been introduced. Again, this is securities law uh, concept. um, You know the the concept of um, a a crypto platform. uh, You know holding custody of a user's crypto and not immediately delivering that crypto, and that somehow being like the, the security and, you know, and, and the user agreement somehow being a derivative contract, like why, like, I would like to ask them, where's the law for that? Like, where did you get that from? Is it, you know, the the, the law of futures, but you look in the common law and there's not much there, right, to, to to find as a precedent for that. So I'd be curious as to, you know, how they, they came to that determination. Now, I know there's, um, I, I, I know a few lawyers have actually, or I think um, there's at least one lawyer in Canada who's written um a paper on that uh, a guy by the name of Ryan Clements here in Calgary uh, he's a professor now he's in private practice. he's a professor at the University of Calgary and I think he wrote something that kind of uh, that elaborated on that but that's that those are the kinds of things where it's like you know show us show your work like how did you how did you arrive at this like how did stop arrive at this because they didn't really you know give examples of of law that they that they base that you know those, the The interpretations around there was like nothing It was kind of just like you know here it is if there's no immediate delivery there's a derivative and me now having to explain that to clients which i have to do weekly it's 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 difficult uh because it it's it's so broad and it it just uh you know even if not in even in the crypto exchange uh context it's like it affects um you know uh nft platforms right who might want to hold a, a deposit. Uh, the ETH, right for in furtherance of a purchase of an NFT. Well, now they've they've like you know, or they they have to follow that guidance. Uh, it's it raises all kinds of issues. So yeah, uh, that's a really long-winded answer, Jacob. Sorry. No, that's uh, a great answer. That's yeah. that's what this
0: podcast is for. For you to give long-winded answers. Thank you. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that there you go. So yeah, uh, sh- show your work and and let's get to some of the. Uh, you know, the, 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 the law on, on how you base your interpretation. Yeah,
0: There was an interesting Twitter thread the other day about why lawyers are important for people who are in the crypto space and the NFT space. If someone, or if you were to explain to someone why it's important to find a lawyer who understands crypto as opposed to just going to, you know, your typical securities lawyer, what are some of the reasons why you think it's so important?
1: Well, I mean, the example. So, case in point, I guess I had um, been approached by a potential client who had already engaged a securities lawyer, um, and uh, the the you know the issue again was of custody. Um, you know, they were running a custodial brokerage, and the securities lawyer I, I think had years of experience, but like the direction they were going was well this isn't this isn't a security um you know and and we're like but you know being in the industry you you follow um the you know the the, the, the policies the the canadian securities administrator stop notices uh, like a good crypto lawyer will follow those will follow twitter threads you know on a almost daily basis and will kind of be be hyper aware of some of the concerns of, of regulators. And so the, the client ended up hiring us and, you know, they, the, the, the original lawyer that they had, um, I, I, like almost didn't even, wasn't even aware um, of, uh, of that, of, of one, uh, one particular CSA staff notice that came out uh, on custody. And so, I mean, that could have been a, uh, you know a potentially costly mistake uh, for the client had, had they gone down this path of well um you know we're not we're taking the position that 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 you know just because you're holding custody of crypto there there's no security um you know almost ignoring the the, the, the you know uh, the csa staff's position and and so we you know we like to you um, you know, we like to advise clients of of where the regulators are at. And I think it's really important to do that because, uh, you know, I mean, you can, you can disagree with uh, staff at regulators, um, but you should at least know, you should at least understand the issues and understand their position. And, and, and I just think some lawyers that they, you know, they're not, they're looking at the securities act or, you know, maybe um, some national instruments and they're not, they're not focusing on things like staff policies. And so, yeah. Um, I, I think that's where, yeah, and and, and I, I guess I should add to that, uh, like you know, crypto lawyers who specialize in cryptocurrency can uh, can can I think see what's going to come um, down the down the pipe in the future, uh, as opposed to maybe um, you know a, a vanilla securities lawyer, for example, that uh, that 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 that's not following the um, the news and events and uh, and and maybe doesn't have a sense of what's coming because I, I find that clients. Um, want to know what the law is now but they also want to know what's going to come in the next year right and so
0: it's such a fast moving space that you you almost have to have that double-edged sword where you know what's current and you also know what's what could possibly be in the pipeline or even would make sense for governments to implement in the future such as I think we're seeing now with the KYC with Binance, and now there's no minimum. You, you they always have to get all that information. So things like that are, are definitely important. Now we are we are around the 40 minute mark, so I do want to be respectful of your time. We'll do four rapid fire questions if that's right. Sure. All
1: yeah, right,
0: fire fire away. All right, perfect. So the first one is what makes a great lawyer? What are some things that you find you know really help you be successful and some things that you like you look for when recommending other lawyers as well
1: uh the the, the so responsiveness I, I can't emphasize that enough responsive clients are going to assume that you know how to do your job just like when i go to the dentist i assume he you knows what he's doing when he's drilling my teeth but that responsiveness when you immediately reply to them um can can go go a long way um, um you know being being prepared um doing good work right like if, if you know i don't you don't want to be a lawyer who's just turning and burning clients uh, um you you want to develop long term relationships um so so um doing good work and and that could mean uh you know leaning on more technical lawyers in your firm or spending a bit more time um you know anal- reading the law uh but react yeah, responsiveness doing good work um uh, and um uh, d- d- listening to clients and uh you know don't be condescending right i mean no we're not we're not we're, we're not all geniuses and uh you know um sometimes clients are very sophisticated and uh and and you know i mean even if they're not um uh, you know as, as 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 experienced as as others it's still really important to listen to them so yeah those are some things
0: What's one piece of advice you wish you knew before entering your legal career, or maybe it was a piece of advice that you were given upon entering that was very valuable?
1: Um, so the, the the piece of advice that I was given when when I when I started my legal career was client relations. Um, you um, go out there, be take your client for lunch. Go to their, their functions, go tour their office. Clients are always very, at least in the corporate world, uh, uh, you know, happy and excited and and they want to show you what they're working on and then, you know, what they're coding or what they're, what they're building. So, um, um, keep in touch with clients, like always keep. So if I haven't heard from a client in, 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 you know, a few months, I'll send an email, uh, and I invite them to lunch. Um, always be in front of your clients. Uh, as much as you can, so that that's that's uh, one piece of advice that was passed on to me, which has really really helped. Like if if you're if you're in your if you're front and center and you're in your client's mind, uh, like front and in front of mind, um, if something happens, uh, you know inadvertently, uh, you know heaven forbid there's a mistake. We're all human. If your client, like you know, if you're in in front of them all the time and 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 they they trust you. Uh, they're less likely to let you go right Than if you're you're not talking to them at all and you know you talk to them once a year and if something happens that they don't like they're more apt to let you go right but if you're if you're if you're constantly taking you know if you're if you're regularly taking them out for lunch and doing things with them you know uh the chances are you're going to have a more long-term relationship and get more work
0: i was taking notes the whole time those are such great tips thank you matt um, yeah, no problem. Third question for you. What is one habit that has helped you be successful in your career? Something you've developed through the years or maybe always had. It doesn't necessarily have to be legal focused. It could be something like exercise. But is there something that comes to mind?
1: Yeah, uh, r- running. So for me personally, uh, I'm a, I'm a runner. I love to run. Um, so I just uh, running or doing some kind of workout uh, in the morning has helped me. Uh, and uh, I, I meditate, uh, mindfulness and meditation. It, it, it's been key. It's, it's actually changed my whole perspective on things. If you can find time in the day to just close your door, you know, shut down, um, you know, meditate even for a few minutes and just reset, uh, especially around midday, I found that that it, it, you know you can you can gain perspective on things, um, you know, and 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 uh, in, in, in such a way that. And it just puts things into perspective and you reset um, because, you know, otherwise you're just going to burn yourself out. It's, it's, it's a very, if you're in private practice, uh, it's a very, very busy, busy life. Uh, So it's important to slow
0: down. I second that I started both of those habits when I was in law school and meditation was so important to me because it it helps you recenter and realize that the world isn't moving a million miles per per minute. You can slow down. You can always take time for yourself to relax and take deep breaths. And, and it really is reminding you, you know, focusing on what's important as opposed to just reacting. You're being proactive and taking control of your day. Uh, but running, running was a little harder for me to get into it. It's pretty taxing on the legs if you haven't done it that often. Oh,
1: it's, it's hard. If you're not listening, There's a, there's a bunch of like you could, you could substitute that for, you know, biking, swimming even walking like brisk walking but just get like do something like that move your body i think like movement is medicine i've heard that somewhere maybe it was at a gym i belong to in calgary but i i really believe that movement is medicine to so get out you know and uh i just got this Apple watch from my birthday a few weeks ago love it it reminds me to move get up and uh, it's, it's good so um the, the other one thing we'll go meditation too is you, you tend not to worry as, as much. Um, you you learn to focus on what's happening now and not live in yesterday or tomorrow. So that's another reason why meditation in my, in my experiences is, is beneficial.
0: Meditation is so yeah. beneficial and any, anyone listening, I, I highly recommend even just trying for 30 seconds or a minute, right? People get intimidated. Well, I can't sit still for 10 minutes. Okay. Well don't, it, you can make the practice whatever you want at the beginning and you'll work your
1: way up to some point where you feel comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it can be a few minutes.
0: Yeah, that, no, that's great, man. And then last, last question for you is really just about if there's anything you'd like to say to the audience, or anything that you know you'd like to maybe an ask for people who are in the crypto space or other crypto lawyers. If there's interesting discussion points that that you think would be uh, beneficial for for lawyers to have, or any suggestions for the podcast, anything you think would be interesting, or people you think we should have on.
1: Um. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're a lawyer in Canada um, and, and you're, you're in, you've got an interest in cryptocurrency, let the world know, let us know, let the rest of us know, because there's strength in numbers. There's enough work to go around. We don't, you know, no, you know, I find lawyers in the crypto space, the ones that I know, we're very collegial. Um, let, let, let us know you're out there. Um, you know, get involved. The I'm a member of, an organization called the Canadian Blockchain Consortium. You know, there'll, there'll be other groups that come along, um, get involved, know who your peers are in, in Canada. It, it can lead to great relationships, referrals, all, all kinds of things. So I, I highly recommend you let yourself uh, be, get out there and, and be known uh, to the rest of, you know, the world as a, a, a crypto lawyer. I think it's really important that, uh, you know, that, that that we kind of uh, stand together and, and we know who, Who each other are because it's, you know, I I know that other kind of similar groups in other industries um, operate kind of the same way, right? So why not in in cryptocurrency and blockchain?
0: And I think like crypto, that advice really applies across boundaries as well. There's no limit to where, you know, it doesn't make sense for crypto lawyers to meet up and get to know each other for work. And I think it'll be a better environment for everyone involved and better for the clients as well. So I think, think that's a great point, Matt. Well, thank you Thank you so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure, and I, I really enjoyed interviewing you.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Jacob. Yeah, I had a great time. You know, great, great initiative, and, and thanks for having me. Uh, I, I look forward to, to listening back to this and, uh, and to your future podcast. I, I, I think this is, uh, you're on a great roll, so uh, congrats, and, and thanks again for having me.